fantastic to be here with you this morning uh, to worship. Uh, it's, it's always good uh, to come together and worship and give thanks to our great God for what he has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ, but also uh, as a reminder of his faithfulness to us. So it's been uh, fantastic to worship with you this morning, and thank you, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, as Ian has said, I am the ministry rep uh, for the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry here in New Zealand. I commenced this role uh, at the start of this year, and it is a ministry uh, basically that promotes or teaches biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah. Uh, but instead of me uh, giving you all the details, I'm going to ask our, our team up the back to put a short video on that will introduce uh, the ministry of Friends of Israel. Thank you. We do? Yeah, unsure. Carry on. Unsure? Okay. So basically, uh, the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry and uh, we were talking about this, I was talking about this with Isaac, my young son, on the way up. Some of you may have heard of the night of uh, the broken glass. It was in November, 9th of November, 1938, where the Jewish people in Germany uh, become uh, under quite a bit of uh, persecution and hatred. And on the 9th of November, many of the Jewish synagogues Schools, businesses, homes were trashed. And it was then that there was a group of people in America, uh, pastors and, and uh, a number of leaders, recognised the need. And they commenced a mission called the Friends of Israel uh, Gospel uh, Relief Ministry. And the significant thing in, about this and what I said to uh, Isaac on the way up is that it's very significant that a group of men and, and women started this ministry called the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry when there was no nation at that particular time called Israel. Israel was not re-established or uh, become a nation again, a rebirth, until uh, May 1948. So it's quite significant. And, and these people in Israel, uh, the U.S. realized from God's word that the nation Israel had a future. And they uh, established this mission to raise money to meet the needs of the Jewish people that were under persecution in Europe at the time. And so, after all these years, the mission is still the same. We promote biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah. And we do that by uh, selling uh, good biblical material, uh, teaching in churches. Uh, and this morning, uh, some of you may know uh, the Israel My Glory magazine. There are some spare copies on a table down there. Please help yourself and, and take some. Uh, but also, there's a form. If you've never subscribed uh, to this magazine in the past, uh, you can sign up for one year for free, and I highly recommend it. It's uh, an award-winning magazine, great articles, uh, very helpful. 
And we also lead tours uh, to Israel. And uh, we've been very busy this year with the war in Ukraine. Uh, New Zealanders, I've, I've been blown away by the generosity of many New Zealanders who have given thousands of dollars uh, to help the Jewish people in the Ukraine uh, this year. And, and interesting that uh, a lot of Jewish people uh, returned to, to Israel. It's called uh, Aliyah, which is the return. And I, I'm not familiar with all the stats at present, but earlier on in the year, about 40,000 uh, Jewish people went back to the nation Israel but the interesting thing was more than half of the Jewish people were coming out of uh, Russia. So interesting. But anyway, if anybody would like uh, to ask questions or learn anything more about the mission, uh, please uh, feel free uh, to ask me afterwards. Uh, again, the Israel My Glory magazine. Let's bow in a word of prayer before I uh, commence. Father, we do want to say thank you for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the life that we have in him, the abundant life. And Father, thank you that he has had victory over the grave and that through faith in him, we have the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And Father, we pray that uh, as we uh, await for his return, that you would help us to walk humbly uh, with you and uh, honour you throughout our lives. And Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that uh, you would speak to all of us, but more importantly, Father, that we would apply what we learn to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question before us this morning is this. What is the big deal about Israel and the Jewish people? See, no people, no nation has been more obviously noticeable than the descendants of Abraham. No nation, I would suggest to you, has aroused more emotion, attracted so much attention, contributed so much uh, to history than the Jewish people. In fact, by me mentioning the words uh, Israel or Jewish people, I've probably already stirred some kind of emotion in your heart. But why? And I want to suggest to you this morning that you will never ever understand history. We will never understand his story unless we understand what God is doing through the nation of Israel through this people. See, Scripture is all about the Jews. The, the Bible reveals an abundance of information about the Jewish people. It's past, it's present, and the future. See, the, in the Bible, Israel is mentioned some 2,600 times. It's an important subject matter in the Scriptures. And because it's an important subject matter, I suggest we need uh, to learn and know about it. So what is the big deal? What is the big deal about this nation? And I want to suggest to you that the big deal starts, it all starts with a promise that God made with a man named Abram. 
See, the world as a result of sin was in a mess. And God, after a a few events like the flood and uh, the Tower of Babel, God goes to a place called the Ur of the Chaldees, which is in uh, modern-day Iraq. And uh, he made a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. And this covenant, I want to suggest to you, is an unconditional covenant, and it's recorded in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. So I'd like to take a moment now to pause, and we will read uh, Genesis 12, 1 through to 4. Genesis 12, reading from verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This covenant is a divinely created agreement. God told Abram, to leave Ur, modern-day Iraq. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. I will show you a land. I will give you this land. I will make you into a great nation. And I am going to create through you a people for my own namesake. And God would bless him, make his name great, and God would bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. And God made three promises uh, in this covenant. He made a promise of land, of seed or descendants, offspring, and uh, of blessing. And it's interesting, this uh, one of blessing, blessing will be associated with Abram, if I call him Abraham, forgive me, um, because God changed his name to Abraham a a little bit later. So his name will be associated with blessing. He will be blessed on this journey because whoever blesses him will be blessed and whoever curses him will be cursed. And also through him, God proposes to bless all the peoples of the world. And it's interesting that Abraham steps out in faith in this journey with God and he obeys. In the Old Testament times, when a covenant or agreement was made between two parties, uh, the way it was uh, signed or cut or ratified, if you like, uh, was quite interesting. And it was an agreement that bound uh, these two parties together. And there are a number of covenants in the Scriptures that are uh, conditional. That it is, it is dependent on the two parties fulfilling the terms and the conditions of what is agreed upon. But the Abrahamic covenant, this promise that God made to Abraham, is different. It is unconditional or unilateral. Uh, 
It is, an, it is a covenant that involves two parties, but the fulfilment of it is only dependent on one party. And we know this because of what is recorded in Genesis 15. I don't have the time to read it all to you, but in Genesis 15, 9 through to 21, God instructs Abram to uh, bring him a, a heifer, a goat, and a ram, along with a dove and a pigeon. And if you take the time to read what is in Genesis 15, God didn't have to instruct Abraham what to do with those animals. Abraham knew exactly what he had to do. And Abraham cuts the animals in half, not the birds, but he cuts them in half and he lays them out on the ground. And the way in which this covenant would be signed or agreed upon is that the parties that were involved in this agreement would walk through the, the sacrificial pieces, the animals that are on the ground, signifying that if either one of those people walking through those animals did not meet the obligations of the contract, they would end up like those animals, cut in two. Wouldn't I suggest it would be... Um, be quite uh, effective today, wouldn't it? If that's uh, how covenants were and agreements were signed upon, we wouldn't have too many people defaulting on, uh, on the agreement, would we? But what I also would like to point out, that in the signing of this covenant, if you take the time to read the passage, Abraham does something that many of us do on a Sunday morning in church. That is, he is having a bit of a nana nap. In fact, the scripture says he fell into a deep sleep. And it was only God or God's presence that walked through those sacrificial animals. And I want to suggest to you that this was intentional. God alone was the one who wanted to obligate himself to the terms and the conditions of this covenant because it was only him that walked through it. Because if Abraham had gone through it, this whole covenant would have fallen over. It would have fallen over. But it was only God who obligated himself. It is this promise is dependent on no man, only God. And the writer of Hebrews confirms this fact where we read in uh, Hebrews 6.13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. See, friends, God is holy. God is dependable. And he wants to ensure that redemption, that salvation comes to the whole world to all the peoples of the world, that all the peoples will be blessed through this chosen people, through this nation. And that is why God is obligated to fulfil this covenant and not Abram. And then if you took, look over to Genesis 17 where the covenant is reaffirmed, we're told in verse 7 of chapter 17 that this covenant is eternal or everlasting. Now each of the promises that are made in this covenant are further explained 
expanded on in the land covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel for the descendants. And uh, when it comes to the blessing, uh, we learn more about that in the new covenant that's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 31. So God has created a nation by Abraham. He's called it Israel and he's given them a job to do. Through you, through the nation Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm going to create a nation. I'm going to give you land. And through you, through your line, the Messiah will come. A Messiah that will redeem humanity. Your job, Israel, is to be a light to the nations. Your job, Israel, is to proclaim your great God, the coming Messiah. God also said of this nation in Exodus 19.6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Friends, a priest is a person who stands before God and man, who represents man before God. And this nation were to welcome people into the worship of God. Israel, I want you to be a kingdom of priests that would invite the nations to come here, come into this land to worship me and have a relationship with me. And that's what God wanted to do through this nation. God refers to Israel as a people of his own possession. Deuteronomy 7, 6. A special treasure. Even the apple of his eye in Zechariah 2.8. God's affectionate choice has not been set on any other nation. According to Psalm 147.20. Deuteronomy 7 along with other passages reveal that God chose Israel to be a channel through which the Messiah would come. A light to the nations and a source of truth. However, I want to suggest to you that uh, it has been quite a tumultuous journey for this people. Being chosen by God was a very heavy burden. And if you were to take the time to read Deuteronomy 28, it's a very important chapter in understanding what is taking place in the Old Testament. And it outlines what will take place for this nation. There will be blessing for obedience and there will be curses for disobedience. They were told uh, in chapter 28 that they would be dispersed and scattered. But in chapter 30, they're told they'd be regathered Friends, the Jewish people have suffered many distressing circumstances from the time that God called them to the present day. See, it's around uh, 2091 BC that uh, Abraham uh, enters the land. And uh, this is where God uh, tells him that it is yours. But some uh, time later, uh, Jacob, due to a famine, Jacob is uh, Abraham's grandson, 
They migrate to Egypt in 1876 and the nation is there for some 430 years. And then after 40 years of wandering in the desert, in uh, 1406 BC, the conquest of the land of Canaan begins, the land that God promised to them. The nation, uh, under the kingship of David and Solomon, there was peace and prosperity. The borders were expanded and there was a lot of prosperity. However, at the end of Solomon's reign, in uh, 931 BC, uh, there was civil war between uh, southern Israel and northern Israel for, for two centuries. In 722 BC, uh, the, the Assyrians come in and invaded the northern territory, the ten northern tribes, and the Assyrian captivity takes place. Some of the Jews were transported back to Assyria and uh, the Assyrians also brought people into the land for a resettlement program. Then in uh, 605 BC, the Babylonians uh, head into uh, the southern Jerusalem, to the southern area, southern tribes, and uh, some are taken away. And in 605 BC, uh, a young man by the name of Daniel, along with others, is taken back to Babylon. And then in 597, uh, another man by the name of Ezekiel that you will know, be familiar with, and others are taken to uh, Babylon. And then finally, in 586 BC, the Babylonians destroy the temple and uh, Jerusalem. And most of the people are taken back to Babylon. Then in... Uh, 538, under the decree of Cyrus, uh, the Jews started coming back to the land. Uh, there was three waves, 538, 458 and 444 BC. 474 BC, Haman's evil plot to kill all the Jews that's recorded in the book of Esther. They've had it pretty rough, haven't they? In 175 uh, BC, Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to destroy Judaism and decimate the Jewish people. Then uh, the Romans, under General Pompey, nicknamed by his enemies the Teenage Butcher, entered Israel in, in 63 BC and captured Jerusalem. And then in AD 70, under General Titus, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. 1.1 million Jews killed. Jewish people dispersed around the world. A tough call. If we want to come into uh, more recent times, the Jews were accused of the Black Plague. Thousands were burned and murdered. The Spanish Inquisition in 1492, the confiscation of property and the banishment of 300,000 Jews from Spain. The programs, swift localised form of brutality, carried out extensively in Russia, but not only Russia. Expulsions. Jewish people have been expelled from many cities and countries throughout the world. 
the blood libels, Jewish people accused of human sacrifice using human blood for the Passover ceremony, the forced uh, wearing of apparel, and you're probably aware of the, the yellow star of David that many of the Jewish people had to wear in the Second World War. The ghettos where Jewish people were crammed up, cut off from society in horrific conditions. And we come to a point where most of us are aware the Holocaust where six million Jews were starved to death, worked to death, or sent to the gas chambers. But then on May the 14th, 1948, the State of Israel was re-established. It's been a tough journey for the Jewish people, hasn't it? But when we stop and consider that, we have to ask the question, why? Why has a nation that has suffered so much been hated and despised by so many around the world? Why do they still exist? Why do we still have the Jewish people? We don't hear anything of the Amorites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, and all those other ites that we have in the Scriptures. But we have the Jewish people. Why? Why do we still have them? Against this dark, dark backdrop. And answering the question, I'm reminded of a famous chess player that uh, visited an art gallery in Europe. And he came across a painting that uh, fascinated him. It was a painting of... Uh, a chess game in progress. And on one side of the board was uh, the devil. And the devil was leaning back in his chair laughing and full of glee. And on the other side of the chess board was a, a young man with sweat pouring down his forehead, tears running down his face. This young man was terrified. And it became clear to this uh, chess champion what the painting was all about when he read the title of the, of the painting, it was simply called Checkmate. See, the devil was about to make his final move and get this young man's soul. The devil was joyful. The young man was terrified. And the chess player thought this was quite an intriguing painting. And so he found himself a chessboard. He, he placed it at the bottom of the painting exactly and laid it out exactly as it was in the painting. And he studied it up and down, up and down. And then finally, after doing this for some time, he turned to the picture and he looked at the young man and said, Mr, I sure wish you could hear me now because I've got good news for you. It only looks like the devil is winning, but there's still one move left on the board and you get to make it. See, I know this game. It is you and not he that gets to make the final move. And I say that simply to remind you of a biblical truth that we find in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. And this is so evident when it comes to the Jewish people. Through all history, 
the same personality that is behind the hatred of the Jews, anti-Semitism, is Satan. From Genesis chapter 3 onwards, Satan knew he was in trouble. He knows the Bible and he, he is fully aware of God's end time plan. He knows that the Jewish people are a vital part of Yeshua's return, of Jesus' return. So in answering this question of why do the Jewish people still exist, I want to suggest to you there is only one logical answer, and that answer is God keeps his word. That promise that he made in Genesis 12, 1 through to 4, that's reiterated in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, reiterated in many other places in the Old Testament through the prophets. See, there is a day coming when the Jewish people will look up to Jesus corporately and cry out to him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me read to you uh, Matthew 23. Listen carefully. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Listen to this. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus speaking to the Jewish people. See, Scripture indicates that this event will take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation, when all the Jewish people will be in the nation of Israel and they will call on the one whom they have pierced, according to Zechariah 12 to you. And then we read in Romans chapter 12 where all of Israel will be saved, referring to all the Jewish people living at the end of the tribulation. Friends, Satan wants to prevent this from happening. He doesn't want God to win. So Satan is working overtime to prevent this from happening. That is why the Jewish people are persecuted and hated. He does not want Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus Christ to return. Friends, there has never been any other nation that has been so despised and hated and scattered around the world and come back to their land with their language and their culture intact. And the only explanation that I can give for this is because God keeps his word. God is faithful, God is dependable, and he must honour what he has said. Today, and sadly you will even hear it in the church, it's quite prevalent probably becoming more prominent and, and uh, accepted in Christianity today that God is done with the Jewish nation. 
because of Israel's disobedience, because of Israel's rejection of the Messiah, that God is finished with them. That the church has replaced the nation of Israel. So God's done with Israel and God is using the church. It's a major topic which I can't deal with. But I want to suggest to you that is a lie of the devil. And there's, it's a huge topic. I can't deal with it in detail this morning. But if we were to go to uh, Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11 opens with a question. God has not rejected his people, has he? And the Apostle Paul, the writer that is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, says this, May may it never be, God forbid, far from it, loosely translated, perish the thought. Never let that thought be entertained in your mind. And with this emphatic denial that God has done or rejected Israel, Paul states in verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until. Please say the word until. Thank you. Israel has, an, has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles, Gentiles has come in. Until is a key word here. There is a time period. Until the full number of Gentiles comes in. And when the full number of the Gentiles come in, God will continue his work with the nation of Israel. Friends, God is not done with them yet. Despite Israel's repeated disobedience, the church has not replaced them. The church has not replaced the Abrahamic covenant. Let me read to you from Leviticus 26. Yet in spite of this, when they were in their land, in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or abhor them so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. Jeremiah 31, 25 and 36. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Listen, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. So friends, as long as we have the sun, the moon and the stars, there will be a nation called Israel. Scripture is clear against all odds that God would miraculously preserve this people. And after centuries of dispersion, God will restore them. And finally, one day when the nation repents, 
they will be reconciled to their Messiah. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal about the Jewish people in Israel? The big deal is this, that they are strategic and they are central to God's plans and purposes. Without them, friends, there are no scriptures. The scriptures are written by Jewish people. Without them, there is no Messiah. Without them, there is no redemption. There's no salvation. We have no salvation without the Jewish people. And there is no hope. God, who swore by oath, will do what he said he will do. God has not done with them yet. They are called to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Now, I'm fully aware that I've dumped a lot of information on you this morning. And I've given no application. But I want to suggest to you that what I have stated is is of extreme importance. I never said this uh, when I read from Genesis 12 earlier. When God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I want to highlight that there is two words in the Hebrew for the word curse. The first time the word curse is mentioned in that passage means to treat lightly, to treat with contempt. If anybody treats Abraham, or this covenant that God is making with Abraham, If you treat this lightly, if you treat this with contempt, God will curse. But here's the punch with the second word for curse. It is in the imperative, and it literally says, God must curse. Friends, this is serious. The way in which we respond as people, as as a nation, as a church, to this is extremely important. We are living in a nation today where anti-Semitism is on the rise. The propaganda and the lies against the Jewish people are rife. Now please don't get me wrong, I'm not standing here saying that we support the Jewish people full stop. They are a group of people that do do things wrong. They don't get it right all the time. But I stand here in support of the Jewish people based on the word of God. And I would like to suggest to you as Christians, we all need to do the same. We need to be aware of the lies and the propaganda. So I encourage you to read. Read the scriptures. Read books. Find out what God is doing and listen to what is being portrayed in the media and you will find a lot of it is lies. So can I encourage you to stand in support of the Jewish people when they need it most? And as I said, the way in which we respond will determine whether God blesses or curses. So let me close by saying 
What's the big deal? The big deal about the Jewish people and Israel is that they are central to God's purposes. And God, by his very nature, is bound to keep the promises he made to them. Thank you. A couple of resources. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Father, we do want to say thank you for your word and the instruction that it gives. And uh, Father, we are so grateful that through the Jewish people we have the scriptures, we have the promised Messiah, and we have uh, these blessings. And Father, we know and acknowledge that the Jewish people are still